Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning, everyone. Morning, sir. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic. And we're going to start a little different this morning. Because I'm a very sick man. And at 3 o'clock with the jet lag and the cold and all. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I was still wide awake, just totally wide awake, in bed, very cold, um, and uh, did already two meditations on my iPad. Uh, I was just totally awake, the jet lag, whatever, the tea, and all of a sudden, as I... said in there, I heard this voice as clear as the day is light. And the voice said, if you masturbate now, you could fall asleep. Uh, Good, good. (laughs) I haven't heard that voice in 29 years. And I jumped out of that darn bed so quick that I'm not going to masturbate if my ass falls off today. And I jumped out of bed and my wife was in the other room. And she was up. (laughs) And I said, Nancy, I just heard this voice saying, if I masturbate now, I can fall asleep. Honey, this place is not a good place for my sleeping. <laughs> and she, and we ended up getting into bed together, just kind of getting warm, and finally fell asleep. And why did I have to have that voice? Because God makes no mistakes. I needed that voice to be able to come in here to say to you this morning, this is an incurable progressive disease. It never goes away. Never, ever leaves. It goes into remission. It goes away just like my blood pressure, you can, when they take my blood pressure, it's normal. But if I stop my blood pressure pills in six weeks, my pressure will be sky high again. Because I have a chronic illness called high blood pressure, hypertension. And that's what I have with my sexual addiction. It's incurable. You know, so many people spend their time, those in in marriages especially, trying to prove to their wives 
how well they are. Oh, I'm better now. I'm better. You can trust me. I'm better. No, that's not how I work with my wife. I'm always reminding her I'm sick. How else can I explain that I have to spend most of my day on the telephone with people when I'm taking time away from her and the family? It would be cruel to do what I'm doing in my home life towards my wife if I were well. No, I'm sick. Nancy, this is my medication. And I am not ashamed of my sickness. I am not in shame over it. I did not make this happen. It happened. I have no responsibility for having my disease, but I am entirely responsible for taking my medication every day. Totally responsible. You know, these people who are against 12-step programs, they say, oh, you know, you make excuses for what your behavior is. Well, I do have an excuse for what it was. And I also know it will be again if I don't take my medication on a daily basis. I have my set of medication. Other people have their set. But I bet if you ask Coddle and you ask Nicholas and you ask me, what do we do each day? And we have not talked to each other we will find that we have very similar things. There might be nuanced differences, but that we probably have similar things that we do each day that is basic medication. And today, I'm going to talk about basic medication. I'm going to talk about back to the basics. I'm going to talk about the story Jess told me so many years ago. And the story Jess told me was about this very famous football team called the Green Bay Packers in America. And they were and they still are a very good team. And they had this coach called Vince Lombardi. And he was the best there was. And the team is the best. And one season they were doing so poorly, just terribly. And they were losing their games. And, and this one particular game, Vince Lombardi says to them in the halftime, guys, this is impossible. You're professional players. This is just not working. What's happening? He said, get in a circle. And he got them in a circle. And he got in the middle. And he said, we need to get you back to the basics. And all of a sudden, he picks up this football. And he says, this is a football. He did not talk about what plays they should make. He did not talk about encouraging them or doing this. And the he said, to these prominent football players, this is a football. 
in, tw- in our program, we're so busy talking about all these esoteric, sophisticated, spiritual, sky-in-the-high God stuff a lot of times. That we forget the basics. We forget what the football is. And I'm going to start this morning with a basic. And for those who could do it, fine. For those who don't feel comfortable, don't do it. But I did not have time to do it, so I'm going to share it with you. How I get up every morning. Except this morning when I was a little crazy. (laughs) But very grateful that I didn't masturbate last night to prove I could fall asleep. And so what we're going to do right now is get on our knees and do the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou of my mother's understanding forbade me is that the word forbade me from ever hitting my knees because it was considered idolatry worshipping idols and we were spanked and hit and yelled at if you ever got on your knees for anything even to pick things up and so when I came into the program and they said You need to hit your knees. That's our expression, hit your knees. And do the third step prayer. I said, hell no. I'm not doing that. What is it, some secret, occult, Christian conversion place? (laughs) I know what you're up to. And I said, hell no, I'm not going to do that. And within a day, God helped me see my hypocrisy. I used to get, I told myself, Harvey, what's wrong with you? You used to get on your knees to give people sex. And you're not going to get on your knees to do a third step. (laughs) And I started doing the third step on my knees. What can I tell you? This is my story. This is it. This is the brain when my wife has problems with me. And I say, honey, if you think it's living, it's hard living with me. Try it from the inside out. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so now we're going to do the next thing that I did not have a chance to do this morning because I was crazy. I had to come out quickly. The next thing I do in the morning before I change my mind, my sponsor said that in the, you know, 10th, 11th step area, it says upon awakening, it does not say after you've gone to the bathroom. It doesn't say after you've brushed your teeth. It says upon awakening. The moment I get up, I thank God I start my gratitude list. I do 20 to 25 things on my, 24 things on my list. Uh, my sponsor would always have me write them. And then once he died, I said, ah, oh, now I don't have to write them. <laughs> and so I tat on my fingers. And then I read some years ago, a, a beautiful book, and it talked about writing it. See, I had a sponsor in AA who had a high school education. Nothing more. Only that high school education. And he he would say to me things like, Harvey, someday your intelligence will catch up to your education. Because I had all these advanced degrees. But he'd also, you know, say, the first thing in the morning, upon awakening, do this and do the gratitude list. And then years later, I read in these great, the learned people are telling me the same thing this high school graduate told me. And... I do a gratitude list every morning. And so for a few minutes, I've never done this before, but I'd like us to do a community gratitude list and for us to go around the room. And I'll begin and go around the room to uh, each person give a short little gratitude this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for S.A., I'm grateful for the scholarships. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for... <laughs> I don't. I want to pour it out to one each. No, it's... I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my sponsor. I'm grateful for all the international fellowship. I'm grateful for my good health. I'm grateful for having the third step prayer together.
I'm grateful for my fellowship to I couldn't hear that. So I'm grateful to wake up and so yes. This is one 
of the major blockage. See, when you have 29 years sobriety, it does not mean you have 29 years more of wisdom, necessarily, at all. It means you have 29 years more of years you have watched people come and go in this program. You have come to see what doesn't work. You know, they should say not only, if you want what I got and are willing to go to any length to get it, it should say, if you don't want what I have and are willing any length to get it. What is it that so influences relapse? Relapse is so based on the concept, no matter how you pretty it up, you have never understood the first step. Never understood the first step. Yes, you can't relapse once you understand the first step. Once you've accepted the first step, it's the only step that's an absolute in our fellowship. There are no other absolutes. Everything is based on progress. But the first step that I am powerless. What does that word mean? It means I have a physical disease that there's nothing I can do about it. Willpower won't work on a disease. It doesn't matter how spiritual, how good, how sincere you are. If you have diabetes, you cannot think your way out of diabetes. You better take your insulin every day if you have severe diabetes. I give an example. If you're down the highway driving your car and you just ate at a restaurant and wow, you know you ate something bad. And you know you better get to the bathroom. And the sign says five kilometers. <laughs> and you say, ah, oh, I could use sphincter power, willpower. I could do it <laughs> for five kilometers. I could do it. But if it says 50 kilometers, it doesn't matter how strong your sphincter is. <laughs> Willpower squeezing in won't help. You have diarrhea. <laughs> now, I'm sorry if people don't talk this way in your areas. But this is how we talk in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, thank you. So willpower, we call it in the States, white knuckling. White knuckling. You're 
there is a fire in the skyscraper. And you have to get out of this high building. You've got to get out. So you have to get out the window. And you're holding on the ledge. Hanging down the street over this big drop. You're holding on. And your knuckles start turning white as you're holding on so hard. The blood stops going there and you're holding on. You eventually fall. Because you cannot hold on forever. You know, Roy refers to this about that tree and what you're standing on. You eventually have to let go. But willpower will not work in this fellowship. What eventually happens, you're not using willpower, you're using his will. You're not using your will. The steps are so beautiful. It tells us we are without power in the first step. But in the 11th step, we got the power back. We get the power. Praying only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. You do the steps and you get the power. But it's his power, whatever that word means to you. But the first step says, I can't do it. Why? Because I have a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. Why the hell would they start the book not with Bill's story, the founder? They start it with the doctor's opinion. You can't get the doctor's opinion. You can't get this program. If you keep going back to the sin model, I wish you well. But it doesn't work. Because we're not talking sin. We're talking not that our behavior wasn't sinful. But we're not talking about sin. We're talking about a disease, a phenomenon of craving that the brain sets up. The allergy. We accept it without a blink if someone is allergic to penicillin. Without a blink, we think. And we know people could take penicillin for years. And have no problem. One day they take penicillin and they get this terrible rash. And the doctors say, don't take it anymore. And they don't. And 20 years go by. They've never taken penicillin. And they're fine. One day they get in a car accident and they're in a coma. And somebody, some doctor not knowing, they're not wearing a bracelet, gives them penicillin. They are not going to break out with a rash. 
they're going to probably have what's called an anaphylactic reaction, where their eyes bulge, their throat shuts off. You know, you've heard of people with peanut allergies or wasp stings. Same phenomenon. What's happening in those 20 years that they haven't had any of this? Penicillin. The body has been continually building soldiers to fight the penicillin. Antibodies. Keeps building these antibodies. So when you put the antigen in, the allergen in, there is a bigger war than the first time. That's why when we people in the fellowship relapse, they don't start where they left off. They start up again with a no time where they would have been if they had just continued doing it. You see this significantly in AA. Now, Bill, Bill, the biggest egoist, the biggest egotist there was... I mean, he writes about it. He wrote, there's one book he write, tells how the only reason he stayed sober was that his friend Ebby came and he was sober and Bill always had to be number one and he wasn't going to let Ebby have one up on him. <laughs> no way, Ebby was going to be sober and he wasn't going to be sober. He had to be number one. He talks about this over and over again. And yet, he wasn't put first in the book. The guy who wrote the book, basically. Now, naturally, they worked out a compromise by having his chapter called Chapter One. <laughs> but it's really Chapter Two. <laughs> you know, in the States, your zero is our one in the elevators. And so what do they do? They make the doctor's opinion with Roman numerals. And then they start the numbering with Bill's story. Group conscience. See how God works these things out. <laughs> so it's there first for a purpose. Because if you don't get it, you can't get Bill's story. And by the way, Bill's story, you talk about basics. Our SA book is not our basic text. Get over it. Roy says at least twice he refers to the AA book as a basic text. Roy got sober with the AA book. You're not going to do real well or as well as you could do with just the SA book. It was not written for that. The SA book assumed you knew the first 164 pages of the AA book. 
It assumed it. So here we have the basics. The basics is the acknowledgement that I have a disease and that it only works. Basic two. My medication only works for 24 hours. A radical concept. By the way, there are references to a whole lot of this right from the big book and others in the essay of December 2011. It's called Back to the Basics. I happen to know the guy who wrote it. I don't know him well enough yet, regretfully. Uh, all kidding aside, um, I was sharing a little on Tuesday. Um, God gave me many gifts, but he, he didn't give me the gift of uh, great parents, but he gave me a great wife. You know, I picture my God sitting there with a bag of gifts all around, and everyone gets gifts, evenly. He doesn't love one person more than another. And he evenly takes out a gift from the different bags and gives it to us. And he has good parents bag. He has a good wife bag. Me, he skipped over the good parents when I got the good wife. Okay? And here are all these, these gifts. But one gift I did not get was I was dyslexic. Never knew I was dyslexic. I was 37 before I knew what my condition was. Somehow, the miracle of my being able to get through college and medical school um, and my residencies and all, but it, it was just a miracle. I never knew I was dyslexic. I knew I married a woman who would spell all my words for me, all my second and third grade words, medical words, I did fine. But not second, first, second, third year words. I'm just messed up on. And so I couldn't write. Just couldn't write. I don't write. I think it, I get the pencil down, and it doesn't come out. And um, a few years ago, I said, you know, Harvey, you're getting old. And if you don't write some of this stuff down for the fellowship, uh, it could be a problem if you really want to give, give this to keep it. And... Um, I said, I'm going to write an article. I, it starts at my birthdays because to celebrate my birthdays, I, I feel I must give something to the fellowship. And so I started doing an article. And the first article I did, I gave to my, um, sponsee Art B from Georgia, uh, who is an expert on English. Matter of fact, he, part of the editing of so much of our works 
and as a professor and all, and uh, those from Ireland know him as he came and lived in Ireland for two years. And um, I sent him my work, and he kind of made some corrections. And I sent it in, and the essay took it. And then I wrote another article, never sent it to him, and they took it. And before I knew it, I was writing articles every few months, and they were just flowing out of me. And just, my wife said, what's happened, Harvey? What's happened? Essay happened. We get reborn. We don't understand what that means. I don't understand what it means. Except now I could write and I couldn't write. I don't understand it. And so here's a stack of articles from the essay I have written over the past couple of years. One goes back ten years. But, and this one, I'm back to the basics, and I've, so there are references to the parts of the AA book and the essay book where you know this isn't me. You don't want me telling you my opinions. I'm a sick, sick man. You only need what I have been fed through my sponsors to give to you. You don't need what I have. You need what I could give that I've been given. And so all this stuff has been referenced. So here we have this basics of 24 hours a day. Just one day at a time. I could handle a tack in my shoe, underneath my shoe. That's hurting me if I know it's just for one day at a time. So here we get some basic basics. This is a disease. My medication only works for 24 hours a day. What are some other basics? My other basics is I can never have a secret again. Ever. What's the first thing I had to tell you today? Something I didn't want to say. That this voice said, go masturbate to go to sleep. I didn't want to say that. I don't want to tell you I hit my knees and had sex with men. I don't want you to know that. That's the first thing I have to tell you. You're not going to get away with it. We need one gratitude for you today. One thing you're grateful for. Okay. <laughs> yes, we all did share gratitude. Okay. No secrets. This bit about raising your hand because it's too explicit 
is make believe. If someone is drunk and they come in to a meeting and they're drunk, they need to keep their mouth shut. But if they have some sobriety, they are not to keep a secret at that meeting. Or at least with their sponsor. I get calls from a particular part of the country. And I kept getting calls and get kept in calls from this one area. And finally, some guy said, yeah, my sponsor said, if you want to say something explicit, call Harvey in Tennessee. Don't tell me if my trigger me. If my sponsor ever said that to me, I'd have a new sponsor by the next day. He can't hear what I'm saying. All he has to do is move the phone away. He doesn't have to listen. I learned that trick from dealing with my mother. I don't know why everyone's laughing about that. And by the way, hopefully we'll talk more in our forgiveness workshop about my mom. May she rest in peace. Being explicit. You raise your hand. I shocked someone the other day. They say we're yapping at me how wrong I am. It says you raise your hand. And then the person has stopped talking. It does not say that. It says if it's too explicit, raise your hand. It does not say, and the other person has to stop talking. I don't know where that came from. But I know where it came from. From fear. that people don't trust their program. In Nashville, you raise your hand, the person stops talking, and you walk out of the room, and he continues. And then you walk back in when you feel comfortable enough to hear it. I went to somewhere in Canada to talk. There were two people in that group. They'd even go into the first step meetings and keep raising their hand, people were not allowed to say anything. I left that community, and what they ended up having to do is to b- begin a another meeting, not in competition, an additional meeting, where part of it says, and when you share... Someone raises their hand, stop talking so they could leave the room for a few minutes so you could continue your share. I call my sponsor up and share totally explicitly. I'll say someone just called me and for whatever reason what he just said got stuck in my head. I'm giving it to you. You get rid of it any way the hell you want. It's yours. I'm not here to take care of you. I'm here to save my ass. 
This is not a codependency program. I'm here to stay sober no matter what. All this politeness, my God, what does it produce but relapsing? We have a terrible record in SA with relapsing. We're so codependent, we're always, oh, you poor person, you just relapsed. Oh, I feel so bad here, do this, do that. The person who relapses is quite capable of finding the prostitute, of finding the extra money to get a hustle, to do what they need to do. They're quite capable of doing the program. They're not children. They're ill people. When they're ready to take their medication one day at a time, they're ready to take their medication. You can't make them. You can't force them. You could do only one thing. Hey, it works. I'm living proof. Sometimes I say, gee, this program, I don't think it works. This one relapsed that, and then I have to remind myself, like Lois told Bill, when Bill hadn't helped sober one person up in six months, and one guy went hung himself in his house, and, and Lois said, no, it does work. <clears throat> does work. You're sober, Bill. This is a selfish program for selfish people. And by being selfish, this unbelievable paradox happens. We become selfless. I don't know how it works. It just works by my putting my program first above anything. I'm able to be here for you and with you. See, SA cannot be part of my life. SA is my life. Nothing can come before SA. Not my wife, not my children, not my grandchildren, not my religion, not my profession. Because if anything comes before SA, what ends up happening is I end up not being sober and losing all those things that I thought I had to have before I would do my essay. By doing my essay, I kept my wife, kept my family, kept my religion, kept my profession by saying the hell with it all. Just like I told you the story last night, the hell with it, I'm going for it. The same thing had to happen for my recovery. So we live in a small city. And I was very known in my profession. And there were just two of us in the program. 
and I had to go to the treatment centers and to the organizations that I used to work with or for and break my anonymity to tell them there's a program in Nashville. And people wonder, how can Nashville have 53 meetings a week? We get 70 people at our Saturday meeting with 30 women. In I we get 100 people every Saturday morning, approximately. Or we'll get 60 rather than 70. It wasn't from Harvard. But it was from this concept that we took. We started with a very AA-based concept in Nashville. And in Nashville, we were blessed. We had a woman come in in my first six months, and she hung in there for seven years. So we had a man and a woman with some sobriety, and that was an excellent balance for our, our fellowship. And we had no secrets. You know, as I'm talking, I'm, I'm realizing what we did, the basics. We had no secrets. We immediately basically put it on uh, where you go to meetings on the telephone. We spent two years sending out brochures to every minister, social worker, rabbi, psychologist, physician. Years it took us to send brochures to everyone, and we gave them where the meetings were, or where the biggest meetings were, where we, we break out. We do, when a newcomer comes into our meeting, we ask for a volunteer, and we have a special newcomer me meetings, and we a group goes out with that newcomer for their first meeting. And they talk and do a first step and explain things. We have one clubhouse where we have three meetings a day. Our 6.30 in the morning meeting, you know, it fills a room. The noon meeting has overflows. Five o'clock meeting. We've done a lot of meetings in the daytime over the years, so it doesn't affect family life so much, where you could be home with your family in the evening. And what else do we do for the secrecy? The secrecy, that one secret is, Harvey does not run Nashville. That's the secret that has to be yelled out. Meaning, one person, there's a place... A uh, city, I think, even bigger than Nashville, never grows much. They have their old-timer screening everyone before they come. The secret of cold, oh, you can't let that person in yet. They're not ready. Who the hell are we to say who's ready? But if you don't take the first step, if you don't believe you have a disease, you are so in shame, you can't announce it to the world. What will people think? What will people say? What kind of trouble will I get in? The fact that you end up hitting newspaper headlines anyway doesn't come into the thing. The fact that I walk out of the pornography shops backwards. This I thought I was invisible if I walked backwards. No one could see me. There was a pawn 
shop across the street with people from the synagogue I belonged to, so I had to walk backwards so they wouldn't see me. I want to tell you, there was a nurse, she went to the same synagogue I went to, and she worked for me. And one day she came up to me and she said, I can't have anything to do with you again. I've heard about your life and what you're doing. She was our best friend. And she stopped working for me as a nurse. And we would go to services and she hardly talked to us. And two years into recovery, she was calling us to help with one of her sons. And they're, we're the closest over the years. They're very, very old now. But in recovery, it all disappeared. Because my sponsor would say over and over again, Harvey, no one will lose respect for your recovery, but they will really lose respect for your active disease. Get over it. The secrecy. It's only the disease done on the group level. The double lives, the secrecy. That's all you knew. That's all I knew. And we bring the disease into the meeting structure. Get over it. And if I had to bet, and I know nothing about this, so I'm making this up like I make lots of things up. (laughs) I bet that Poland is not making it secret compared to some countries in Europe where it is secret and where they've hardly ever grown. I've been to places in the in Europe in the 90s, and they probably have about the same amount of meetings now that they had in the 90s. And then you hear from Poland that in in a year or two, they're probably going to have a hundred people at the workshop in Warsaw. Stop being ashamed of this. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to be grateful that my God watched me in those pornos. He watched me on my knees. He watched me do every low life thing I've ever done. And he loved me so much he brought me to SA. That's the God I have found in this program. If I hadn't done those things, I wouldn't be here today. It was all part of the plan. If I had missed even one of those low-life things I did, I wouldn't be ready for what I, when I got into the program. Every one of those pawn moves have been done beyond my, my recognition, my comprehension. And if you don't have a God like that yet, you're missing something wonderful. 
a God where there is no way you could comprehend what he's doing. Just praying for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. And hopefully tomorrow we'll talk about the 11th step. I say hopefully this. I never know what I'm going to talk about. This talk's kind of, I, it's just evolving. You do not use phony words with your sponsor. You do not use words like, I was lusting today. You do not use words like, I had a lustful day, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, I saw all these triggers. That is not sharing, that is lying. You weren't lusting today. You were picturing some woman in some position, in some way with you doing this and doing that. That's what you share. The word lust and uh, I had a sex thought today. That's not sharing. So people call me from all over the country. They say, oh, I've been sharing this all day and it's not going away. I said, what did you share? He said, oh, I've been having this sex thought all day. I said, well, what, what are you sharing? That I've been having these sex thoughts all day. I said, what, no, what, tell me, what are you sharing? I don't, what do you mean? Well, I thought about this woman. I said, okay. <laughs> You haven't shared anything. After a few okays, what are you talking about? Man, it's stuff I didn't even think about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do they have that kind of stuff around now? <laughs> you all with the internet are seeing things that people really don't ever need to see. You are tickling your brain centers in an impossibly difficult way. You can, from what I hear, I came in before the internet. And I screwed up a lot with a lot of sponsees in the, in, in the 90s or the, for a while that I minimized since the internet was not my problem. What was going on on the internet? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.